Reverse Interview Podcast, Episode 9. Now is the perfect time to find your dream job, but it requires a fresh look and a unique twist. That's why Charles Woolsey is here to extract proven solutions from today's experts and make your dream job a reality. Welcome to the Reverse Interview Podcast. Get in, get hired, get promoted. Here's your host, who plays a 1967 Gibson guitar, Charles Woolsey. My dad picked up a hitchhiker in the early 70s, a kid on his way to the guitar store to sell his guitar. My dad pulled over and gave the kid the same $30 the store was going to pay him, and he gave him a ride back home. He figured if the store was going to pay him 30 bucks, it had to be worth at least that much. And then later, Dad gave me that guitar around Christmas of 1984. And that guitar has been one of my favorite things ever since. What is your favorite thing? Jonathan Milligan might be able to help you find it when it comes to the career area and what to avoid. Jonathan was a teacher, headhunter, and now a blogger and writer. Listen to his green, yellow, red light system to help put more of the things you enjoy doing into every day and less of the things that drain you. He'll also share a method to help you find your core gifts as well as his L-I-F-E philosophy or life philosophy to filter opportunities and activities to make sure they are in agreement with his purpose. Here's Jonathan Milligan. So Jonathan, tell me about your very first job. My first job was actually hanging the gate signs for the Indy 500 in Indianapolis, Indiana. And it was a dangerous job because we had to hang signs on one side of the street and then cross a four-lane, pretty much highway, to try to get the sign up before the, the uh, cars came. So there was a lot of adrenaline with that first job. So every before every race, you're out there putting them up and taking them down? Yeah. So I got, um, I don't even know how I came upon the job and how I got hired, but they, you know, the Indy 500, if you ever uh, haven't been to Indianapolis, they have uh, four-lane it might have even been six lane now that I think about it. It's a pretty wide street that runs on both sides of the Indy 500. And so there's probably 20, 25 gates, and each single gate needed a sign to be hung up above the uh, traffic. Um, one sign was actually uh, taken down the street by a semi uh, that decided to snap our sign and take it before we could get it hung up in time. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's, how long did you do that? Uh, I did that for one summer, um, actually one spring, I should say, because the Indy 500 is typically in the spring. And that was while I was in high school. Great. And what did that lead you on to afterwards? Well, afterwards, um, there wasn't much of a, a lifetime career in hanging gate signs unless you wanted to travel to all the different places. And that's not what I wanted to do. So I ended up going to college and trying to figure out what it was that I wanted to spend my work life doing. And what did you decide? Well, first, um, I kind of just floated around trying to decide, you know, is this about me? Am I, you know, is this helpful? Is this, and you just kind of figuring things out. Um, but finally, I, I kind of landed on originally that, I had the desire to teach, mentor, and coach. Both my parents were educators. My mom was an elementary teacher for just about all of my childhood. And um, my dad was always a high school coach and teacher. So I come from a stock of educators. And so I decided, at least in the beginning, that's where I was going to start. I was going to start 
as a high school teacher, uh, teaching and mentoring kids and coaching. So you went to college. Was that what your degree was going to be in? Was it yes. education? Yes, exactly. My wife is in education. Now. I've actually got three, both my kids and my wife are in college now. So, <laughs> and she decided late on, she wanted to get into the education area. Yeah, that's awesome. And how long did you stay in that before you moved on? I was in the teaching profession for about three years, and I loved the kids. I loved uh, being with them. But for me, I learned that my personality was one that needed more variety. And um, for me, at least, teaching in a classroom all day long for seven hours a day was um, a little bit constraining for me and my personality. I'm a big person, uh, a big believer in variety and wanting to control a little bit more of the when, where, and how of my work. I guess I got more of an entrepreneurial streak. Uh, but the core essence of teaching and mentoring is what I love to do today. So really, I'm still a teacher. I've just changed the context. And what did you? What are you doing now that allows you to do that? Yeah, so now I pretty much I, I work from home on a full-time basis, and I am a blogger who helps people. That's the tagline I use, but I have two blogs. The, the first blog was a career coaching blog. That's what I started in 2009, and that was focused on really just trying to help people think through their careers, think through uh, how to go about networking, finding a job, negotiating salary, all of those things. And then in 2011, I started blogging your passion, which is just another avenue of teaching, uh, of teaching people how I took my career coaching blog from something I was doing on the side to becoming my full-time job. And you worked as an executive recruiter for a while, I understand. Yeah, exactly. And so in between the teaching and figuring out what it was I wanted to do um, with my life, I fell into uh, executive recruiting, which was basically a headhunter. I was finding people that companies wanted to hire and making those connections. And I did that for about seven years and learned a lot about the, a small slice that, uh, that we would call job transition. That small little slice I spent my world in for seven years and helping to better understand um, how to help people get from a job where they where they're at to a, a better job, or some people would say a dream job, or just a better environment overall. So you were working for the companies; they would have an opening, and you would go out and find a person to fill that position. Correct? Yeah, exactly. So I was a, a third party executive recruiter, and I built up clients from different companies and made uh, relationships with hiring managers. And then when they had openings for mid-level or senior level management, they would tell me what they're looking for. And then I would go on the hunt to try and find that person for them. Now, I've been contacted over the years many times by recruiters. And I guess it's always a fine line that you walk trying to find the right person, but mm -hmm. not be perceived as stealing them from a company where they're already gainfully employed. And I think it's I think people sometimes wonder how you get the attention of an executive recruiter if you're out there maybe currently employed or unemployed or if it's even possible to get their attention. Can you can you speak to that yeah. a little bit? Sure. I think the the primary way, the best way 
is by having a built out profile on LinkedIn. Um, although it's been a couple years, even back in 2007, 2007, 2008, my primary tool for networking and connecting with people was LinkedIn. And what's great about LinkedIn is the fact that um, you're able to put your credentials and you're able to put your resume out there without raising the red flag with uh, HR or your boss. Because I read a statistic one time that like 80% of the Fortune 500 CEOs have their full resume credentials out there on LinkedIn. So it's a pretty widespread, acceptable practice uh, as opposed to what got what has gotten many people in trouble is posting your resume to the resume databases of some of the larger job boards and then you know your human resources person coming across your resume out there can definitely cause questions so uh, definitely a, an easier way an under the radar way is on LinkedIn where your credentials can be out there um, because sometimes honestly the best jobs uh, are when you're not looking I've always found that to be the case. It's hard to it's hard to get a job when you really need one mm-hmm. and you're out of a job. It just doesn't look very good. But you're saying the the best thing you can do is just make sure you have a really good presence, fully filled out profile on LinkedIn. Yeah, absolutely. Because recruiters like myself and even HR and even hiring managers are using the keyword search features on LinkedIn to find specific type of candidates. And if you never take the time to fill it out, if I'm looking for a a CPA in Atlanta um, and I'm looking for maybe even a specific software skill or experience, uh, if it's not listed on there, you won't show up. And by not showing up, you don't have the opportunity for someone to contact you to even present you with a potential opportunity. So that would get the technical details of someone that you're looking for. How then would they really stand out and really get your interest in contacting them? So that comes through networking. And one of the ways that you can do that is by finding out who other people that you know of, other peers that you hang around with, who are the relationships that they know? Uh, there's an opportunity, there's a chance that they may know a recruiter that they have a relationship with. You know, as I got further into my executive recruiting career, uh, a lot more of, of the candidates that I had just were from referrals. And so by, I would have people contact me and say that I already had a relationship with, and they would say, Hey, I have a friend, so-and-so he's looking, he'd like to have a conversation with you. Well, it's a lot easier um, for us. We often buy on the approval of others. And so it's a lot easier for you to get in the door with a, a recruiter, particularly if they're a good one, and um, get in that door if you are coming on the approval of someone else. So sometimes it's just simply asking around. It's Maybe you got some peers and you say, hey, I'm just constantly trying to network and get to know people in my field. And who are the recruiters that you've used in the past? that I probably need to connect with. Now, one of the things that drew me to you is a book that you wrote, The Career Manual, Know Yourself, A Proven Formula to Discover the Work You Love. Yep. I would like to know more about that because that, that's I'm really into the know yourself and get the right job and you know be who you really are. I'm, I'm thinking that book is along those lines. I'd like to know more about that. 
Absolutely. So this is a, a book that I wrote that came out of a couple years of uh, writing in my on my blog, on my career blog. And I felt like it was a message that needed to be said. And the message and the essence of the book is that you uh, as a person don't need to choose a career because it's going to make you money and you're going to end up having a stable career and stable job. I believe those days are gone. And I mean, I've seen it over and over again. I remember meeting somebody who who worked for four different companies in six years. All four companies were great companies to have on the resume, but all four of those were from a reduction in force for that individual. It was just bad timing. So, you know, the, the ability to think that um, – you're going to be able to get into a stable career or a long-term stable job where you can serve or be for 30 years just isn't the reality anymore today. And so what I encourage people to do in the book is to find out what's changeless about them. And there are uh, certain ways and, and you're wired a certain way. And in that you have your personality, your personality should play a role and definitely does play a role in how you're going to do your best work. I think the the things that you're you you're gravi- you gravitate towards, there are things that you gravitate towards that um, uh, no matter what job you get into, you're going to end up gravitating towards certain things. Um, I've often likened it to like the green, yellow, and red activities. I actually talk about this in the book. And green light activities are, are those things that you could do for three or four hours and you're still just as energized about that thing, whatever it is. The yellow activities are things that you can do well, but you don't really enjoy them. You're just kind of competent in them. And one of those for me is uh, fixing a computer. I have the patience to figure it out. But, you know, if my father-in-law is calling me or, you know, other people are calling me, friends and aunts and uncles, to constantly come over and fix their computer, that's not something I'm excited about. Can I do it? Yes, but I'm not excited about it. And then the red activities, the red light activities, are those activities that, honestly, they just drain you. You spend an hour with them and you just feel completely drained and you have no ambition, no energy, you don't want to do anything um, because it just completely drains you. It's just not your thing. And so what happens today is many people are spending the majority of their day doing red light type activities. And no wonder they come home drained, frustrated. They look at other people who are successful and think, why can't that be me? What's wrong with me? And the truth is they just haven't really uh, figured out or been able to pinpoint what those green light activities that's going to that's going to energize them, excite them, give them more passion for their workday. So how does one find out what those green light activities are for themselves? Yeah, so that's going to be a process of discovery. It's going to be um, probably actually sitting down and analyzing your own work. Now, this takes a little bit of work, but I've done this and I've encouraged other people to do this. Uh, and that is... Sit down and just write out what are all the different things you do on a daily, weekly basis. Just jot them all down and then go back over them and say, and just use that simple metaphor that I used. This one's green. 
this one's yellow, this one's red, and analyze those specific tasks. That's going to help you. You can develop a short list of those green light activities. And then maybe there's an opportunity for in your current work role to work with your supervisor to say, hey, how can I spend more time in these? You spend most of my day doing these things. And these red things are the things I'm going to procrastinate on. I'm not good at. Um, and kind of working through that. Now, is everybody going to be able to do that in every work situation? Maybe not. But the goal would be to to spend more time on those green light activities. The other thing I would say is if you're really trying to discover what it is that lights you up or gets you excited or what we might call your core gift, that is to ask other people. Say, can you describe me in three words? I did this a while ago, a couple years ago, and it profoundly impacted the way I viewed my work. And that was to ask you know, three to five people who knew me well, describe me in three words. And the word that that stood out for me, I actually put it on a rock that I found on the Appalachian Trail, and I focus on it every day because I believe it's one of my core gifts. And for me, the word was resourceful. I love learning, figuring out what all is going on out there in a particular topic, and then breaking it down to its smallest parts and sharing it and teaching it to others. And so that really helped me. I did this this same little uh, exercise with my wife. And what we discovered with her is that she cares in the details of life. So when people are going through challenges or they're going through struggles, she loves thinking through the details of how to take the pressure of life off of them when they're going through a particular hard time. So those are just a few exercises. There's more, but hopefully that's helpful. Yes, that's very helpful. And I, when you're talking about going to your manager and finding out how you could do more of the green light activities and less of the red, it seemed like you had a really good manager and he was managing multiple people. There might be a way to shift the responsibilities around so that everybody could get more green light opportunities by, because your green light might be somebody else's red light and, and vice versa. Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen supervisors do that. You know, the really smart ones that are over a team can have an opportunity to do that. How can we get everybody working in their green lights? How can we get everybody working in their strengths? And I've seen one in particular who um, a guy was really struggling with processes, like developing this framework, this process for the area that he was over. And on the same team was somebody who loved doing that sort of thing. And so what that manager did is instead of Instead of having people on the team who were working in silos, he decided to break up the work responsibilities according to their strengths. And so this person who loved developing the process was able to go into the different areas, the different departments, and help them think through and set up their processes. And that was um, a, a momentum shift for that organization. Now, you've had several very different jobs over your career. Mm -hmm. I wonder, you must have faced some really big hurdle at one of those points. I'd like for you to address that if you can. And and I can imagine you being resourceful. You might have some pretty good interest, uh, some pretty good insight into how you handled that. Yeah. So I would probably say it was after teaching for three years and feeling that unsettledness that... um, I probably won't be teaching for the next 30 years. And at first it was kind of discouraging because I had parents that had done it. 
I didn't see there was aspects that I liked. But again, as we used before, there were more red light than green light for me in that particular context. Um, but after doing that for three years, I decided I wasn't going to return. I decided to not renew my contract and not knowing what it is that I was going to do next. And that was a, a scary time. I mean, I was having a mid-career change at 25. And and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I actually ended up just doing a call center job at night. And that opened my world during the day to be able to explore different entrepreneurial ventures that I could particularly launch off into. And I remember one night I had studied out so many options. I mean, I had analyzed it. I had dove in deep with all these options, but I wasn't taking any action. And so one particular night I was talking with a coworker after one of the night call center sessions. And I told him, you know, I'm just, I'm frustrated because I've got all this learning and no action. And I remember that night I said something to him that kind of stuck with me for a, for a long time after that. I said to him that I needed, it was almost like the pain of not going for my dreams was greater than the fear of trying and failing. And in that moment, I told him that I needed just to go fail at something. And that's literally what I said. I said, I just need to go fail at something. Because all this inaction and just learning and not taking action isn't serving me well. I'm stuck. And that catapulted me within, um, I would say within a couple of uh, months, I had bought a piece of real estate. And that piece of real estate, I had uh, fixed it up and sold it for about a $12,000 profit um, in 90 days. And then that $12,000 allowed me to step into the executive recruiting position because it was a startup firm. I was able to jump in and join into that. Uh, I had to go in at 100% commission because it was a startup firm. And I ended up working for seven years on 100% commission, um, which eventually led me to blog and blogging into what I'm doing today. So it was a domino effect for me, but it started on that night when I said, I'm ready to go fail at something because the pain and the fear of going out, going after my dreams was finally greater than trying something and failing. I like that. And, and it's so true. I, I get stuck sometimes and, and I identify what you're saying. You've got to go do something because when you do it, that's where the clarity comes from, not by thinking about it. Yeah, absolutely. And like I've learned before, clarity comes from movement. And if we just sit still and we try to get clarity, it doesn't happen. Clarity comes from movement and you have to get moving in order for things to become clear. So that leads me to the question, do you have an overall life philosophy that helps keep you moving forward? I have something that I've called my ultimate work goals. And it's because it helps me to filter out opportunities. So and so this helps me with the fact that, you know, my current personality, uh, my where I am gifted and where I'm not and what it is that I want to spend my time doing. This uh, philosophy encompasses all of that. So when an opportunity comes up, I can take it through this filter and it's an acronym uh, that I call life. And 
here's what they stand for quickly. The first one's lifestyle. The L is for lifestyle. And basically that means I want to control the when, where, and how of my work. That's what I love more than anything. I've got uh, my personality is one of variety, and I like working on many different things. I've got many different courses I've created. I'm working on different books on different topics. I, I love that variety. And so I want to control the when, where, and how of my work. I My personality, I can't be locked in to doing one job in a particular place for very long. I stands for impact. I want to impact millions in the areas that matter. So I don't want to just make money, but I want my my work to actually make an impact on people and to help them improve their lives in some way. Um, so that's important to me. The F stands for financial freedom. And simply for me, that means I want to write my own W-2. So I want to be able to have the control of being able to create income through the products, the services, the things that I spend my time doing. And then E for me is effort. I want to give my very best at whatever I do. I never want to to try to coast or to just try to do something to get by. I want to do my very best. So life acronym for me is for when an opportunity comes up, it's the lifestyle, impact, financial freedom, and effort. Does it tick the boxes for me, for me to move forward? So I guess uh, you apply that to all new projects that are coming out now that you're kind of on your own. Yeah, absolutely. And so if somebody were to tell me, for example, um, hey, we want to hire you as a writer full time and we're going to pay you a salary, I would say no, because the salary for me doesn't allow me to write my own W-2. I want to be able if they told me I had to, in fact, get rid of all the other streams of income, I want to be able to to have that. Oh, and if they also told me you have to sit in this cubicle and do all this writing for us, it would be no, because I want to control the when, where, and how of my work. So these help govern where I become the most alive. These help protect those green light activities for me, where I'm the most inspired, I'm the most passionate, where I'm the most helpful, where I feel like I have the um, the best, I can bring the best to people uh, with my work. That's great. And obviously, this is your philosophy. This necessarily won't work for someone else, but that's exactly. what you determine for yourself. So maybe other people should come up with their own filters of, of what's really important to them. Yeah, I would absolutely say come up with your own. You don't need to take mine. Uh, mine wouldn't work for my wife. She would look at those things I just said and said, I can't operate that way. So it's not going to work for everybody, but those work for me. I would encourage you to come up with your own ultimate work goals and put them in an acronym so you can use them to filter out opportunities for you. That's awesome. I love that. Okay, final question. I would like to know, do you have any personal favorites in the uh, self-development book area that you could recommend? Man, there's so many good books because I'm such a reader in the self-development area. Um, let's see. What could I recommend that it's something I've really enjoyed? If if it's related to work and a little bit of productivity, there's um, a friend of mine wrote a great book called uh, Day Job to Dream Job. And it's about practical steps for turning your passion into a full-time gig. His name's Kerry Oberbrunner. And it's a fantastic book. I've marked it up 
so many times. I've went back over it. It just shares a lot of practical steps for somebody who's wanting to figure out how to transition into a, a, a dream job. That would be uh, a great book. Um, the other thing I would say and related to productivity, uh, self-development is uh, there's two that I've really enjoyed this year. The first one is Essentialism by Greg McNown. And then the other one, it's kind of closely related, is called uh, The One Thing by Gary Keller. Those are both awesome books about helping someone get to the very core, the very essence of where they need to spend their time and how to rid themselves of all the extra waste, clutter, or just the things they're not good at. Those are some titles I hadn't heard of before. I was glad you got to the one thing because you finally listed a book that I have read. <laughs> and I agree with you. That was a very good book, but I'll definitely have to look into the other two. Yeah, they're great. Great reads. Very helpful books. Very good, Jonathan. I appreciate your time. I appreciate all your nuggets of wisdom and uh, your sharing them with us today. Yeah, thanks, Charles, for having me. This episode of Reverse Interview is over. Please visit reverseinterview.com right now for more information about this episode and to get all of the insider scoop to land your dream job. That's reverseinterview.com. We'll see you next time on the Reverse Interview Podcast.